This is the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but if I lay down of my own accord, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior and Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. The image of the Good Shepherd probably conjures up within us some familiar sort of visions, right? I, I think about the paintings that were prevalent in the church I grew up in of, of Jesus sweetly cradling a, a little tiny baby lamb, right? I'm, I think they're pretty standard fare in most churches or preschools or daycare centers these days. I, I, I have that image of, of the shepherd searching for the one sheep that wanders off as the other 99 politely watch from a safe distance. It conjures up images of rolling meadows, still waters, and yeah, maybe even dark valleys, but dark valleys where we're not alone. Valleys where a shepherd shepherds us through those moments. Indeed, it's a pretty common image throughout all of scripture, this image of the shepherd. And today in John's gospel, it represents just one of 11 such I am statements, I am images. I am the good shepherd is what Jesus begins with today. And it's a simple yet powerful image that draws from a rich, rich tradition in the Old Testament. The I am, of course, is a nod to the divine name of God. Indeed, in many ways, this is Jesus affirming his very identity as the divine, as God. But it also connects him with the countless others who've walked before him, faithful people in God who themselves were shepherds. Think things like Abraham and David. David, of course, who is the author of our psalm, Psalm 23, this day. And this shepherd has so many notable characteristics, so many admirable characteristics. The shepherd is, is willing to not only go and seek out the lost sheep, but the shepherd is willing to even risk his own life for the sake and protection of the flock. But as I consider the, the characteristics of the shepherd laid out in John's gospel today, the one that, that stands out the most actually is that of care and the ability to recognize the sheep. He says, I know my own, and my own know me contemplated a lot lately what it means to be known. And what I've realized is that being known is fundamentally rooted in relationship, right? This is how I think about it, right? Throughout my life, I've been known in and by and for many different things. When I was in high school, I was known by the upperclassmen as Little Wagner. 
because it turns out my two older brothers preceded me at Lincoln Park High School, and so I was known as the littlest of the Wagners, at least the littlest one that they had ever seen. When I married Katie, I suddenly became Mr. Wagner, which still feels kind of weird to be so formal, but that's fine. Then we had our first child, and I soon became Henry's dad for all intents and purposes. When I got ordained, I became Pastor Zach or Pastor Wagner. And now when I coach T-ball, I'm known as Coach Pastor Zach by many of the kids on my team and on others. You see what I'm saying? Our identity, how we're known, changes based on the relationships that we have. Each title reflects a certain kind of relationship. A relationship with family, relationship with friends, and perhaps even sometimes a relationship within or with a larger community. And you see, I also realized that this last year, many of our relationships have been rather strained. This moment of pandemic has isolated us. And with it, there's been this sort of underlying current, this struggle to be known. How are we being known and knowing others when we cannot gather, when we cannot be quite that physical community that we want to be? What does it mean to be known when we're confined to our own homes or, you know, even little boxes on our screens. And this really all hit home in an experience this last, this last winter. We were over at Jackson Middle School and we were sledding. It was one of the perfect days for sledding, nice and chilly with plenty of fresh snow on the ground. And so we were on the top of the hill and I was standing with the twins. When I hear a little voice behind me say, Abram, Nolan, is that you? And I turn around to see a little boy talking to one of our twins, Abram. And Abram immediately said, it is. Is that really you? And then the other child repeated, where's Nolan? Are you both here? And so when Nolan showed up, the three of them had this moment of shock and overwhelming joy. And what I realized, what I realized was these kids had known each other from their kindergarten class, which had been all virtual up to that point. They'd known each other only as faces on a screen, and I think this other child almost thought that it couldn't be real, that there were two that looked exactly the same, that they both actually existed, right? It wasn't some trick of a computer. And it was just mind-blowing to see that that was the first time they'd ever been able to meet in person, and the joy that it brought them knowing each other in that new and really sort of simple way. See, it feels good to be known. And we are known in so many different ways. But it's also true that oftentimes society knows us in certain ways, uses certain markers to know us as individuals and groups. Markers of nation, and class, race. So often are you see those things that are used to define people. And often, these become barriers for truly getting to know these individuals because what we do is we plop them into groups, we categorize and we organize so that it's easier for us to try to understand. But sometimes what this does is it actually ends up becoming quite exclusive because what ends up happening in the process is those that we're not familiar with become known as the other. Indeed, I think about the immigrants and the refugees who come to our country seeking safety or at the very least a chance at a better life, who are labeled by some groups or known by some groups as being illegal. But 
truth of the matter is, no person can be illegal. That's just not how law works. No person can be such. And yet, large cross-sections of our society have done just that, have labeled or known people as nothing other than illegal. And with it, of course, comes ramifications of hatred and discrimination. I think about the communities of color whose pain remains largely unrecognized and unknown. Instead, these communities are often known by the outsiders as irrational, by irrational fears and prejudices, rather than seeing the very image of the people that, that live in there, in those communities, rather than seeing the very image of God reflected in the people that live in these communities of color. And I think that's what makes this moment, right? This happened this last week, the guilty verdicts for Derek Chauvin, such a, a watershed moment, because it was a rare occasion, I think, where the black community has actually had their voices heard and has had the experience of knowing justice when injustices surround them. And the hope is this is just the beginning of a, of a larger movement where names like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor are known. They must continue to be known and remembered even if justice isn't going to return their lives. Because the truth of the matter is it's only in knowing each other that we will be able to really come together as a community together with each other. And that's what makes this Good Shepherd so amazing. This good shepherd is always reaching out. This good shepherd says that he's out to get the others, to pull the others into the flock. So while we stand here and draw lines between ourselves and those we don't know ourselves and the other, the good shepherd, you see, instead models inclusivity. Indeed, that word kalos, the word that we translate as good, actually means model. Indeed, the shepherd models for us what it means to bring others into relationship with us, to get to really know who people are, even if people perhaps look or sound or have origins different than those of ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, this good shepherd, Jesus, God, has known us from the very moment that we came into existence, knew us as we were being knit together in the secrecy of our own mother's wombs. You see, we have a relationship with God, one that we can experience individually as the voice of God calls out to us and knows us as individuals created in God's own divine image, but we also have a relationship to, with God that is based in community. Indeed, in a few short chapters, this good shepherd, Jesus, is going to lay out for us how it is that the larger community will recognize that we are of that flock, that we are Christians, followers of Christ. And this, this is how the community will know, he says. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Indeed, the defining characteristic of the relationship we share with the one shepherd and the one flock is love. Thanks be to God. Amen.